0: Peace be with you. Pray with me, Lord. We thank you for your amazing love. I pray, Father, that as we start this new series today, that we would be rooted in Christ, that we would experience your love afresh and anew. I pray, Father, that you would just have your way. Would you, Lord, allow me to uh, speak and to be in step? Uh, With your spirit, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord. I pray, Father God, that you'll make these, your people's hearts, receptive to your word. Taylor, make this message, allow it to get into the nooks and the crevices of each of our hearts. Not for our glory, but for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Today, we're starting a new series called The Fruit of the Spirit. In the life of Jesus, and I am pumped about this series. Uh, I will be uh, uh, preaching along with uh, various pastors. We'll be sharing uh, the series. They'll be they'll be helping with the series as we'll have uh, about nine sermons where we look at uh, the the attributes and elements of the fruit of the spirit, as in Galatians 5:22. Paul in Galatians 5:19 through uh, 21 contrasts a life in the flesh, a life according to ourselves, our own desires, and our own pleasures versus life in step with God's spirit. And in Galatians 5.22, he says, the fruit of the spirit is love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we're going to look at each of those attributes in the life of Jesus by going to the gospel accounts and seeing how Jesus displays. So a little preview, we'll see that Jesus shows perfect love by dying for his friends, that Jesus replaces inconsolable grief with perfect joy in the glory of his resurrection, That Jesus gives perfect peace in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus extends perfect patience to doubting people. That Jesus shows perfect kindness by touching the untouchable. That Jesus displays perfect goodness by not allowing religious customs to prevent divine healing. That Jesus embodies perfect faithfulness by seeking God's will above his own. That Jesus extends perfect gentleness by defending the weak and the marginalized, that Jesus shows perfect self-control by dying as an innocent man for a guilty world. So I'm really excited about this series because we're going to look at Jesus's life and talk all about Jesus. And you should be excited as well. There's three kind of things that I I pray stick out to you as we talk about this, this series. The first, I pray that you notice that we are saying the fruit of the spirit and not fruits of the spirit. All right. So by the end of this series, I want you to be able to make that distinction that it is one fruit with nine elements or nine characteristics. And the reason why that's important is because I believe that Paul is intentional through the Holy Spirit to emphasize that. Because if you take any element out of Galatians 5, things don't, don't work well together. For example, uh, if you take uh, a self-control, for example, and if you were to take patience or a goodness out of that, uh, you, really, you really can't have self-control. If you take love out of the occasion, you really can't uh, have peace, you can't have kindness, you can't be gentle and all these other things. They all work together in perfect unison. Second, I pray that this series will help us to shed cultural baggage as well as church baggage. Some of these words uh, come with a certain baggage because of our culture or maybe because of the way we were raised in church. For example, the word gentleness. Uh, we have a, a misnomer, a misunderstanding of what gentleness is. For some of us, we hear the word gentle and we think of weakness. Well, that's not what gentleness is. We'll see in the life of Jesus uh, that that gentleness is not weakness. It's it's more of meekness. It's controlled strength. And that is an attribute of God that we want to continue to develop in our own life to be gentle, to control our strength at times when we could be harsh or we could have the right to be more forthright, to be gentle. But third, I, I pray that this series will emphasize and, and, and constantly remind you, you'll constantly hear that the way in which these godly characteristics are developed in our life, this fruit is developed in our life, is not by external force. It's not by me mustering up strength and making goals primarily to be a certain way. But it happens organically. It happens through an internal transformation. And that's what Jesus is going to be getting at today in in John 15. He says this. He says, listen, I am the vine. This is the last I am statements in the the book of of John. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. So constantly as we're going back to these fruits, I I want you to hear that the way in which we grow in love, the way in which we grow in patience is not through external force, but it's through organic relationship with Jesus. As we stay connected to the true vine, Jesus's DNA is transferred to us just as uh, uh, the nutrients of a vine is transferred to its branches as the branches soak and and steep in that vine. So as a Christian, we grow in the fruit of the Spirit as we remain in Christ, as we abide in Christ, as we delight in Christ, as we make our home in him. Let's turn your Bibles to John 15. So we're going to look at the first attribute first characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit, love. John 15. Stand to your feet. Been excited all morning to be able to preach uh, this message, but I'm really excited to be able to preach to you right now. I don't know why, and I don't know what that means, but (laughs) (laughs) let's dive into Word. Y'all ready? (laughs) All right, John 15, verse number... Nine, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now I remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and remain in his love. Notice how many times Jesus is doing two things. One, Jesus is speaking uh, in, in first person. I, me, my, over 44 times in John 15. Right? Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross And he is showing people, this is, it's all about me. Life is all about me. Life is found in me. Over and over, he is just giving this, me, my, I, remain in me. It's showing his centrality. He's showing his centrality. Verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be complete in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I learned from my father. I have made known to you, you, did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that lasts. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Love is important. Love is paramount. In 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul says that faith, hope, and hope and love abounds, right? But then he talks about how the greatest of these is love. I mean, that's a huge statement. Faith, we're saved uh, by, by, by grace, right? Through faith. Faith is huge. It's, it's one of two hinges in which salvation uh, swings on. But yet he says gre- love is greater than faith. Hope. Like hope is huge. Faith, if faith is an attitude that says, for all I trust him. Uh, hope is faith standing on its tippy toes. It's anticipating God fulfilling his promises. But yet love is greater than hope. How is love greater than faith and hope? The reason why love is greater than faith and hope is because faith will one day end. Hope will one day end. A faith will no longer be needed when we get into the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, because our eyes will behold the object of our faith. Hope will no longer be needed when we enter into heaven. Why? Because our, our, the person in which we placed our hope is before us face to face. But love will remain because every brick Every piece of gold, every gate is there as a result of God's love to us. And God's love is what is sustaining us and reminding us of who we are in him. So love is an important subject for us to encroach upon this, this morning, an approach. There's three things about love we want to see based on John 15. Number one, first, I think it's important that we understand the source of love. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says in John chapter 9. As the Father has loved me. John 17, Jesus prays similarly, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Jesus saying, Father, you love me before the creation of the world. 1 John 1 and 8 puts it this way, God is love. What am I saying? I'm saying that love is, is first Trinitarian. Love is rooted in the Trinity, and it finds its origin in a triune God. Now, when I say Trinitarian, Trinity, what am I talking about? I'm talking about this mysterious, beautiful doctrine that we have, teaching that we have as Christians called the Trinity, and the basic doctrine can, can be broken down to three parts. It's mysterious. It's beautiful. Now, the first is this, that there is one God. We are not uh, a polytheistic. We don't believe that we worship three gods. There is one God. God is three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God. If you're like, well, that's a lot, I'm confused. Well, welcome to the club, amen. <laughs> Those are mysteries. It's a beautiful mystery that we see throughout the scripture. There is one God, God is in three persons. Each person is fully God. And this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for all eternity, has been in a divine relationship filled with love. They love each other. They are selfless towards each one another. In the book *Surrender to Love, David Benner says, but the centrality of love to Christianity does not begin with Jesus and his teaching love. Its origins is in the character of the triune God, where perfect love is shared within sacred community of three. And love by its very nature always reaches out. Rather than be content with a circle of love within the Godhead, God reached out to create so that others could enter this spirit of intimacy and be warmed by divine love. God did not create human beings because there was a a, a defect in them and he needed to be loved. No, he perfectly loved himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God reached out because love is constantly reaching out, expanding its borders to others. So that we may be warmed by this divine love. So, what does this mean? If God is a source of love, the way in which we experience his love is by remaining in Christ, is by abiding in Christ. Go back and read John 15:1 through 10 when you get home and just uh, soak in how many times Jesus uses the word remain. Stay. What is he saying? Dwell In me, we experience this Trinitarian love. We experience the same love that the Father loves Jesus with. We experience that love. God loves us the same way. God the Father loves us the same way that he loves the Son. God the Son loves us the same way that he has been loved by the Father. That That should make our minds explode. That, that God's love is so passionate and pure and impenetrable. God's love is, is so 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 beautiful and, and it's set on you, it's set on me, it's set on those who are in Christ Jesus, who have union with Jesus Christ. And what that, that allows us to do is when we when we remain in Christ, when we abide in him, when we make Jesus our home, as it frees us to be ourself, as it frees us to not perform and not to be so needy when it comes to our earthly relationships. So one of the things that shocked and surprised my wife when we first got married was the fact that especially for whatever reason, when we first got married, it was just this social, I just suffered from social anxiety. Um, we would be getting ready to go somewhere if I knew it was going to be a lot of people. I'd just get real jittery. And I would just not enjoy being around people. Uh, and what I, I, I had to do is really to allow God's word to search me and close friends and uh, to, to search my heart to see why that was. And, and some of you may suffer from that. It may be for different reasons perhaps other wounds or other reasons, but at the end of the day, what I discovered is my me being so jittery and so anxious was rooted in the fact that I loaned to be loved and accepted by other people. I had a fear of man, and it was a fear of rejection, so I would want to, to be be liked or loved, and I would put so much pressure on myself that I would kind of just shell up in social settings because... I wasn't abiding in a way that reminded me that Jesus, that God is my source of love and that he loves me perfectly. And see, when we abide in Christ, when we take time to to meditate on him and we remember who we are in him and how much he loves us, it relieves us of the pressure of having to, to please people or to put our best forward for people. And if someone doesn't like us at the end of the day, that's okay. They're losing out. You don't like me. But God loves me. He's crazy about me. Zephaniah 3.7, he sings over me. And there's someone in here today, you you are in a relationship that you know you should not be in. And you have went from man to man or woman to woman because you are seeking a perfect love. And I'm telling you that the only way that that love is found is in Christ Jesus. And even... Uh, today, I have to constantly hide myself in Jesus, set my, uh, my aff- uh, affections on him, like Paul says in uh, Colossians chapter 3, set your mind on the things that are above, or, or I could easily crumble and become anxious and find my identity in what other people think of me rather than what God thinks of me. And in fact, the, the, the proverb, uh, uh, a writer, he says, that's a trap. The fear of man is a trap. Remind yourself that the source of love is in the Trinity. Go, delight in God. Connect to your true vine. Find nourishment and peace and true love through him. It's not found in what your children thinks of you or your neighbor thinks of you or what your job thinks of you or your performance at your job that you get. True love is found in God. God, that's why Jesus says, so I have loved you. Now remain, dwell, stay in my love. Second is the model of love. First nine, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus is modeling the father's love to us. We read verse 11, I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So remaining in Christ is our source of joy. This is the vine transfers uh, nutrients to a branch, a DNA to a branch. So Jesus transfers nutrients to us. And part of that nutrient is joy. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So he says to the disciples, I'm giving you another command. And what's that command? It's to just love each other. How? As I have loved you. Jesus models true love for us. One of my favorite CDs growing up, um, or albums, I should say, CDs. Some of y'all... CDs? What's a CD? Uh, (laughs) Albums growing up was Lauryn Hill, uh, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, all right? Uh, R&B, kind of hip-hop, whatever. Uh, But throughout that album, Lauryn Hill, is uh, there's there's this dialogue between a teacher and students, young students, maybe in middle school, and they're talking about what love is. And it's fascinating to hear these kids kind of describe love, and as a culture, we have a hard time describing, putting our arms around what love is. Some of us, we, think, we hear love, we think of sentimentality, being sentimental, feelings and emotions. And, and certainly love uh, 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 has, that's a part of, of loving, is being able to connect that way. Others of us, we, well, we think of seduction or, or romance, our culture uh, teaches us through song and through, through movies that to be in love and crazy over hills is, is to have this romantic experience. But God is love, okay? And God is the one who defines love for us. And, and his example, Jesus' example of how he loved people is what love is. And after searching the scriptures and, 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 and looking at, at how the Bible presents love, I would define love as this. Talking about modern love. What is love? Love is a commitment. It's not shifting. It's not fickle. It's not just feelings-based. Biblical love, agapeo love, agape love, divine love is a commitment to the well-being of another, to their well-being. i going to ask this. It is treating people how Jesus treats you and me. Love is a commitment to the well-being of another. It is treating someone how Jesus treats you. How does Jesus treat you? He loves us first sacrificially. Later in this chapter, verse 13, Jesus says, no greater love is this for a man to lay down his life for his friend. Jesus' love, Jesus' life is marked by sacrifice. He left heaven came to earth, put on human clothing. He who was eternal became a man. God became man. He sacrificed his position. He did not account equality with God as a thing to be held on to, Ephesians 2 said, but he humbled himself. And not only did he humble himself to become a man, but to the point of death. Yes, death on a cross, the apostle Paul says. His love is sacrificial. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? Enough to die for her sacrificially. If your marriage is in your relationship with your spouse, if you say you love them, but it's all about you and you expect them to make sacrifices for you, but you are not making sacrifices with them, look at your name and say something wrong. That's not biblical love. If your friendships is marked around your friends pleasing you and, and, and them revolving around you, if when you get together, if, if, if this is just, this is my time all the time, and it's all about you, here is my life, here's what I'm going through, and you never ask questions about them. I, is, we have to ask ourselves, is that, is that true love? Love is self-giving. Love is self-sacrificing. It's not self-seeking. Love does not manipulate. Love does not control. Not only... Is it self-sacrificing, but love is is sanctifying. Jesus loved us. God loves us in a sanctifying way. It's going to hurt a little bit, so put your seatbelt on. Chapter 15 says, verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful sometimes we talk about love in a way that says that love doesn't confront. If you confront me, you don't love me. You hurt my feelings. Well, sometimes love hurts feelings. Does it in the right spirit in a way, as Galatians 6 says, in a way that is gentle, in a way that's seeking to restore, in a way that's not harsh. But God sanctifies us. He prunes us. He, he cuts back. Stuff that we think that is good for us, just like a, a branch in a vine. I, uh, 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 once I preached a sermon on John 15, I had to watch a YouTube video to see a gardener actually pruning because I don't know nothing about gardening. And I'm looking at him cutting, I'm like, why are you cutting that? That looks good. <laughs> it's because a gardener has an eye that says, yeah, it looks good, but it's about to die and it's about to affect other branches as well affect itself. So if your idea of love is sentimentality, you have to remember that love also comes bringing truth. The Bible talks about the wounds of a friend is better than the kisses of an enemy. That's how much God loves you. But listen, God's love is also sustaining. It sustains. John 13 and 1, just before Jesus has this discourse with the disciples, he says, This profound statement, John says this profound statement, having loved his own who were in the world, listen to this, he loved them to the end. Jesus loved his disciples to the end. His disciples' sin caused him to be crucified on Calvary but he loved them every step of the way on Calvary. Forgive them for they do not know what they do. Love is sustaining, it's strong, it's enduring. And if we say that we're going to be a people and community of love, we can't be so easily offended and, and ready to walk away when something doesn't go our way. Love is sustaining. We're reading in Romans chapter 8, what should separate us from the love of God? And Paul is just sharing all kinds of stuff. Death? No. Angels or demons? No. Past sin? No. But say said, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Why can't anything separate us from the love of God? Is it because we're strong and, 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 and our love is good? No, it's because his love is strong. His love is enduring. His love is faithful. His love sustains. His love bears all things, believes all things, <laughs> hopes all things. His love never fails. And finally, love stretches. I mean, when I say stretches, it, it it grows. It's deep. So Paul prays over the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4. He says, and I pray that you being rooted. What was that, that word? An agrarian language and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high And deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, God's love, is bottomlessness. It's bottomless. It doesn't have an end. And we'll spend all of our human life if we remain in Jesus exploring just how deep his love is for us how wide his love is for us. And when we think we know, he orchestrates things in our life in such a way that we realize, wow, it's deeper than I even thought. It's wider than I even thought. It's longer than I ever could imagine. How long is your love, oh Lord? Sometimes I play this game with my, my daughters. I'll say, say, daddy, how much do you love love me? And i say, I love you this much. God loves you greater than that. Some of you, right now, you find yourself in a stagnant place in Christ, and you're tempted to believe that you've experienced all that God has to offer. You've read the Bible multiple times, been in Sunday school. Oh, we're preaching Jonah. I know the book of Jonah. And what you miss, and the reason you're not dwelling in Christ is because you think that perhaps you've kind of obtained it all, and now it's time to cruise. I want to let you know, man, you're missing out. Remain in Christ. Dwell in him. I'm not just talking about just go home and read your Bible. Yes, read your Bible, but don't read it for information. And don't read it just for inspiration. Read it to delight in God. Read it to see him for who he is. He is more beautiful than you ever could imagine. And and there's always more to explore in him. As, As Christians, we always can go from one degree of glory to another. It's a dangerous thing to stop dwelling in the Lord, to stop remaining in him because we think we've arrived. Paul said, no, I press toward, I press on for the mark of the high calling. Remain in Him. Dwell in Him. Delight in Him. Enjoy Him. Model your love after His love. Is is your love sacrificial? Is your love sustaining or is it moody? Is it based upon someone giving or doing what you want them to do? Or is it a commitment that no matter what this person does, I'm still going to Look out for their well-being. And I'm going to do my best through the power of the Holy Spirit to treat them how Jesus treats me. That's love is supernatural. God's love is supernatural. How can Jesus tell us to love our enemies? The only way that's possible is if we are abiding in him, allowing his nutrients, allowing his DNA to impact and infect us And, uh, and then allowing that to flow through us to other people. says, love each other as I have loved you. That's the core of the Christian faith. As he has loved you. How much has he loved you? How much grace has he shown you? How much mercy does he give you? How how patient is he towards you? How how kind is he? Can I just show you something real quick that that just stopped me in my tracks this week? And I'm going to be done talking, all right? This this is leading to our next point, the results of love. This is, it hammered me this way. For a day and a half, I couldn't move past this thought. Verse 14, the results of love. What is the results of love? The results of love is two things. It's us being, moving from being servants to friends, and the second thing is us bearing fruit. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now, what's his command? It's just to love other people as we have been loved. Right? And how do we fulfill that command? By abiding in him. It's not by external force. It's by organic change. It's by loving him, by spending time with him. Listen, I no longer call you servants because servants don't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Here's what I'm saying. Here's here's what the Lord. How he ministered to my heart. Jesus profoundly says to the disciples, "You're no longer servants, but you're friends." Here's what he means. When the disciples first started walking with Jesus, they saw him as their rabbi, as their teacher. They served him. They did what he was supposed to do as a student does what the rabbi tells them to do. But the more time they remained in him, the more time they spent with him, his heart and the things that he cared about became their heart and the things that they cared about. And he began to share with them uh, the things that God had revealed to him, his heart. And that's the mark of true friendship. True friendship is built on intimacy. It's built on one giving themselves to another person, not reserving, not hiding, not trying to always put their best foot forward, but revealing, constantly revealing. And Jesus says, "Listen, you move from being just servants to being friends." And some of you right now what you think of, when you think of Christianity, all you think of is serving. It's being busy. It's It's proving that you love God. But that's not mature Christianity. Mature Christianity is not just doing. We first come to faith, we just want to do everything. And I love it. I love those who have recently come to faith and who come to faith. Man, I I find them everywhere doing everything in the church, on a connect team and with the children's ministry, just doing, doing, doing. And that's beautiful. You're excited. God, you realize what Christ has done for you. But at some point, I want you to realize and make sure you understand you do for Christ. You're a servant of Christ, not because you have to earn your salvation, but prayerfully because you see how he served you. But the more you remain in him, the more you abide in him, the more just rest you find in him because you you are growing in him and you see that, that he loves you, not because of what you do, And that your identity is found in who you are, in your being, your human beings, not human doings. And you're able to be like Martha, to to sit at his feet and just to hear Jesus, to learn from Jesus. But what knocked me and what slowed me in my tracks on Thursday was was reading these words of, of the fact that Jesus says that I'm his friend. And the reason that deeply impacted me is because I just started thinking about my earthly friendships and specifically three friendships that I had from childhood of people that I was close to that I'm no longer close to. Part of it is just distance and growing older and maturing. But I began to critique those friendships and to realize that that I'm not a perfect friend and sometimes I'm not a good friend. And I've done things and probably said things that that have made people not want to be my friend that I don't even know about. But the fact is that Jesus is my friend and he will always remain my friend. And he's a faithful friend. When I'm faithless, he's faithful. When I'm grumpy and complaining, he's faithful. When I'm lazy, he's faithful. When I betray him, he's faithful. When I'm busy for the sake of being busy, he's faithful. When I'm not praying to him, he's praying for me. He's the greatest friend one could ever ask for. He will never leave nor forsake you. Family leaves; they disappoint. Friends leave, they disappoint. Coworkers leave, it disappoints. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. You can never be taken from his hand. His love it's unconquerable. There's nothing you can do. And so that, that just choked me up. And I was tripping for about three days. And so I Googled the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And then the only version I could find was by uh, Merle Haggard. <laughs> Merle, all right, anyway. So I'm trying to listen to Merle, right? I'm trying to get it in with Merle, and I'm like, man, this just isn't working. Like, <laughs> like, I appreciate the brother, but this just this isn't working. So I called Johnny. I'm like, Johnny, I texted him. I said, Johnny, I'm trying to listen to what a friend is in Jesus because I'm over here messed mess reading the word, and the only version is Merle's version, bro. Help me out. I said, you got Sojourner's version? He said, yeah, I'll send it to you. And I listened to what a friend we have in Jesus. All my burdens and griefs to bear. I mean, and it just washed over me. And I had it on repeat. And I'm driving down uh, in the car. And my kids are like, Dad, can we listen to something else? <laughs> and I'm like, I broke down the underground. crowd. I'm like, I don't understand. Wait till you get a hold of Jesus a friend. Man, I'm telling you, he'll never leave you. And just, they calls me friend. Like, he called Moses friend. Then he calls me friend. And one day, you're under, you know, they're like, OK, where's mommy? When is mommy? <laughs> Want to be around <laughs> but that friendship with Jesus is a friendship that it transforms us and as a result of us experiencing his friendship it it helps us to be better friends organically because life isn't just about us because we see how much God God loves us and he's revealing to us who we are and who he is and and now when we sit down to have a meal with someone, it's not just about us and our life because we're, we're coming from a place of just being loved and we're coming from a place of, of prayer and a place of receiving. Now we're able to be more interested in other people. And then when someone has differences, maybe politically or, or socially Dennis, rather than, than just tear their heads off, we're able to sit down and listen and say, I completely disagree, but take an interest in them because we see that they're created in the image of God and that there is inherent worth in them, and we affirm that worth, and we treat them how Jesus treats us. Because like First Corinthians 13 says, we realize that we see through a mirror dimly. But one day we will see and we will understand more clearly face to face. My prayer, Sojourn Community Church, is that we will be a church marked by love, a crazy love. That when Louisville and its community thinks of us, they don't think about how cool we are or how great our worship or preaching is. They think about how much we love. They say, you know what, I don't believe what they believe, but by goodness sake, they are a loving people. And everything they do flows from a place that says, I am concerned about your well-being and I am committed to you. Pray that they get confused as they look at us being a church that is filled with people from different economics places, different uh, ages, different races, that they will look upon our community and they would see fruit being born. And if that fruit would make them look to heaven and say, I want to know that Jesus. You know, I had a pastor friend who called me one day and he said, man, I was at the office and someone knocked on the office door. So he said, a man walked in. and He said he was overwhelmed. He was crying. His longtime girlfriend had just left him. And he says he was so despondent. And the pastor asked him, he was at the end of his ropes, the pastor asked him, he said, let me ask you a question. If your girlfriend hadn't left you, would you have ever come to this church? He says, absolutely not. I've only been to church a few times and it was because I was forced to go. My friend looked at him and he said, maybe the Lord is allowing this relationship to fall apart so that you could come to know true love. And perhaps that's you here today. You are at the end of your ropes because your relationships, something that you invested in, is just falling apart. And out of desperation, you're coming here to be inspired or to, to be encouraged. And today I want to tell you, I have something better to give you, greater good news, and that is God's love for you. The Bible says that he so loved you that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him, that you would not die, that you would not wither away spiritually, but that you would have eternal life. Place your faith and trust in a God who will never leave you, never forsake you, and whose love you can experience in full by trusting in him. Run to him today. Flee from a life committed to loving yourself, to a light, to a God who is committed to loving you. Come and know that love. And every Sunday when we gather as Christians, we we have a tangible reminder of God's love. Jesus one day said, "I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never hunger again. I am the vine, the true vine. Remain in me, and I in you, and you shall bear fruit." We break bread, the bread. Is a representation of his body that was broken for us. We drink wine or juice, drink of the vine to remind us of Jesus' blood, which was shed for us, and also to remind us that life is found in him as we are the branches and he is the vine. We take a piece of bread, we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine or juice, whatever your conscience permits. As we come and as we eat this bread and as we drink this drink today, let us do so reminding ourselves of the friendship we have with God and reminding ourselves of his love for us. Those of you who are in the front, you can come to the front to take communion. Those in the back, you can go to the back. Gluten-free communion is to my left. Let's pray.